start. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you happen to be around the world. This is a very special edition of the Groovy Podcast. Uh, my name is Ken Cousin. I'm podcasting from Marlboro, Connecticut, and I am joined by our good friend. Uh, me, Peter Lebrook, podcasting from uh, normally London, but actually I'm in the sticks in southeast England. I'm staying with my mum at the moment for Christmas. Wonderful. Um, for those, I mean, it's hard to believe that there are many people out there who don't know you, okay? But we might as well just bring them up to speed a little bit. Uh, Peter was the person who revived the Groovy podcast uh, after it had transitioned from being the Grails podcast years ago. Uh, Peter is also the co-author of, uh, do you want to tell him about the Manning book? I mean, how's it? I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering whether this is one of those topics that I don't want to talk about. But <laughs> <laughs> too many, too many bad memories. Um, yeah, no, Grails in Action. Because if I bring up Grails in Action, then somebody may ask, hey, what about third edition? That is not going to happen, seriously. Um, but yes, many moons ago, uh, did uh, co-author Grails in Action with Glenn Smith. Oh, of course, it was the did the Grails podcast way back when. That's right. Yeah, the uh, the Grails podcast was Glenn and Sven. You know, Sven Haggis and and yeah. Glenn Smith. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so long ago. Wow. As it's turning out to be, yeah. Fe um, fe feeling my age now. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I and then I was just going to say, and then I disappeared off the planet for a year or so. Well, you also did the the command line tool for creating a new project. Oh, don't bring that up. Really? <laughs> yeah, lazy bones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I. It's. It was. It's a pet project that I would love to get back to at, at some stage, but I, it's just uh, for various reasons, which we may or may not get into. It's. Uh, it's a hibernating project. Well, but so, I figure we bring it up anyway. It's still available under SDK Man, and somebody may yeah. want to maintain it. And uh, that's also, by the way, a, a quick minor segue. Um, that's how I always used to create Rat Pack projects. And by golly, Rat Pack just released a new version, right? Did you see that? No, no. I, I have not kept up to date with pretty much anything in the technical world. Yeah. Um, well, we'll talk, talk about it. Oops. I tried to do Rat and I got you know, Sinatra and all that, you know, I got the Rat Pack. Here's ratpack.io. Uh, yeah, I saw a tweet about this. Um, I think it was, might have been yesterday, uh, saying that they had a brand new release, Rat Pack 1.6.0, uh, at, at exactly 2018-12-20. So that, you know, that's as current as you can get, today being the 21st. Uh, the uh, winter solstice, as it were. How's the weather where you are, by the way? It's actually sunny, which is kind of unusual. Yeah, and we're not too cold. We're being drenched by rain. I mean, it's we're having a massive downpour today. I'm hoping I don't lose power or anything like that. Uh, it's not cold. I mean, it's the shortest day of the year, apparently, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Nevertheless, uh, by the way, just to, for your information, uh, just the release notes on Rat Pack, you know, just in time to ring in 2019, Rat Pack 1.6.0 is not available. This release, ad this release adds integration with additional reactive programming libraries and many improvements. Uh, let's see, what did they change? Deddy's been upgraded, Jackson, reactive streams 1.0.2, uh, 
caffeine. I don't know that one. Snake YAML handlebars and Rat Pack reactor modules for working with Project Reactor. That's a good thing. That's the one that Spring uses, Project Reactor, inside there, and many others. Boy, I'm, gonna, I'm glad I get the chance to say something about it. I haven't seen much going on with that project at all. Oh, okay. It's good to hear. And I take it reactive is still a thing. Yeah. Uh, by the way, for those people who are listening to us on audio rather than watching the YouTube video, I should mention uh, Peter's camera's got some sort of lag issue going on. So we're only seeing him periodically. Uh, so if you're just listening to the audio, you miss all that. But the audio seems to be fine so far, right? Touch wood, fingers crossed. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, it's the internet. There'll be lag waves sweeping through, and and we don't do a lot of post processing here. It's kind of a point of pride, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did wear my uh, appropriate shirt, as you can see. Potentially, I'm feeling vaguely threatened and dangerous right now. You know. I I'm, I'm not going to ask from what because. <laughs> Just life in general. I mean, both of our countries are kind of melting down at the moment. So, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. So I was I was going to say this that um, I haven't kept up with technical things at all, but I've been keeping well up to date with American politics. Oh, that's <laughs> it's like a. I, I sometimes compare my Twitter feed to an IV drip with a certain amount of poison in it, and it's just a, you try to filter out as much of the poison as possible, but because the people I follow are good people, it tends to come in anyway, you know, and mm. it, it's a question of how much you can take on a daily basis, I think. No, for those who can't see, I'm just wearing a, a Star, Star Trek red shirt. So, you know, if something bad happens, I'll know why, I suppose, you know. Uh, so oh, so it, it doesn't have a beam me up. Yeah, well, I, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, it, anything to avoid the airlines, I suppose. Um, so what have you been doing? I mean, you, you took a break. It's been a couple of years now, right? Yeah, it feels like a very long time, yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so um, I, I, I've been pretty quiet for, I think, a long time, maybe closer to two and a half to three years. Mm. Um, and, then, and then officially took a year off work and, and try to unplug and... Uh, and resolve this this uh, problem I, I have, which is uh, akin to chronic fatigue syndrome. But I don't. Uh, I, I say akin to rather than actually. That's it. Partly because that's not a. It's not really a diagnosis of anything. It's a diagnosis of your symptoms. Mm. It's like you're tired all the time. That's CFS. Anyway, so um, took a year off. Uh, that didn't really help. Um, and the reason I, I actually took that year off was back when I was, uh, I came back from traveling. So that was pretty much a year off away from computers um, and everything like that. Uh, and I came back from that feeling really fresh and able to concentrate and very productive and, and completely different. I was like, I felt like a completely different person. So I knew what it could be like. So I thought, hey, maybe if I take a year off, then I can get back to that. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't clearly wasn't just about taking a year off. Uh, so now I'm just sort of getting by, um, and I've been very grateful to Graderlink for um, allowing me to work very reduced capacity and um, they've been very understanding on that front so uh, it means i can continue to work but uh, 
uh, I don't do an awful lot. Um, just struggle with it. Uh, and yeah, that's been the last, well, since last February, I think. Well, I knew you were doing some work on the user manual for the upgrade to Gradle 5. Were you doing anything on the technical parts of Gradle or, or mostly just writing for them? So yeah, I'm pretty much technical writing side now. Um, it's it's partially, I, I'm not sure I'll ever go back to a significant amount of software development because I know it's problematic for me. Mm. Um, uh, it makes things worse fairly quickly. So yeah, I tend to avoid that. Um, but I, I'm actually pretty happy uh, writing when I have time. I think that the book, you know, when it struggling to get a few hours of work in a day, think back when I had, was trying to do a full-time job and fit in writing, it was like, no wonder I was having a, a bit of a hard time with that. So um, yeah, and after a while, practice, practice helps. And it's something that I'm kind of a passion, I'm very keen on, it's just to help people uh, use these things, and like in this particular case, Gradle. But I feel that it's an area where the tech industry could do much better. Has done a lot better in like user interface design, for example. Mm. Um, but in terms of uh, like teaching and, and documentation, and it's it always feels a little bit like a secondary thing, especially if you've got an open source project. You know, developers almost universally hate writing. <laughs> um, and we want to spend as little time as possible on it. And so it's a case of, hey, look, it's, it, the feature's documented. That's it. It's, that's good enough, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, not really. <laughs> Are you, um, you writing using, say, ASCII doc or Markdown or something yeah. like that? God, <laughs> thank God for that. So uh, one, of the, uh, one of the members of the Gradle Link team actually invested quite a lot of times changing it from the tool chain from DocBook to ASCII Doctor. So anyone who's done any writing and they've done DocBook, um, it's, you know, it's, it's better than Word, uh, but not really saying too much. Um, ASCII Doctor is so much nicer. So uh, a big thanks to, um, is it Dan Allen? It's Dan Allen, isn't it? Not Dave. Dan right. Allen. Right. Um, right. The, the, the guy behind ASCII Doctor, I mean, uh, he's, he's made many of our lives a lot better for having uh, created that thing. I know, That's I'm all. a fan, yeah. I, I definitely am very much happier writing in, in ASCII doc than any other text-based format I've seen. Uh, back when you did the, the Gradle in Action book, I presume Manning was still using Word files at the time, is that right? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, my making Java Groovy book was in Word also, and I'm just, I, well, the nightmares have ended, but it took a while, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, so O'Reilly uses ASCII doc, uh, I've just recently discovered, somewhat to my horror, that pragmatic programmers, the prags, mm. they're they're basically on either their own flavor of DocBook that they call Prag Markup Language (PML), or you can embed in there Markdown. So somebody's got to okay. bring them into the 21st century, but not not the moment. Um, and then I talked to somebody at Manning recently. Uh, you may remember Michael Stevens. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. 
and he claims that they're now on ASCII doc, you know, and using a Git repository and everything, but I don't know personally, I haven't seen it. You know, I, did they ever approach you about doing another edition of Grails in Action or is that? Uh, no, no, they didn't. Um, I, uh, I don't know, that may possibly have been because there was a very strong, no, there's no chance I'm ever gonna do a third edition or, or, or for other reasons. But I do remember that there was one author that I heard about who, who said, they were going to use ASCII Doctor. So yeah. <laughs> well, I do. They've, they've moved to, to try to accommodate that. I know that. Yeah. Uh, do you hear anything from Glenn Smith these days? It's been a while. Uh, no, I, 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 as I said, I've been sort of unplugged from the world. So uh, yeah. I don't touch Twitter very rarely, um, touch Facebook or anything really. So, yeah. Well, it occurs to me I, I missed an opportunity. I should have. When I contacted you, I should have contacted him as well to see if I could get him to drop by. Uh, of course, the, what is it, 12-hour time zone difference would probably put a damper in that, but nevertheless. It's, it's, it's a long one. He, he may need more notice as well. I yeah. Sure. He, he, has a, he has a family, so he'll be preparing, I assume, for Christmas or what passes for Christmas in Australia, which is barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to walk away from that whole discussion. <laughs> I have several. I mean, of course, you dealt with at, at Gradle. There's several members of the Gradle team that are Aussies. So yeah, yeah. Um, when I worked yeah, a little yeah, bit on no, a couple of them, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think it's grand. They, they get, they get it Christmas in summer and they can uh, enjoy it outdoors. Yeah, I would love to do to go down there these days. That would be very nice. Although they're having their own chaos too, from what I from what I gather, uh, in the government, I mean, and everything. Oh, John. yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's uh, yeah. Well, our, my, our, my, my own country's politics is is enough, and yeah, know, as a side a side order of U.S. politics, everything else is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will have so much chaos on our newspapers that Brexit barely makes it into our into our news at all. But again, I follow a lot of Europeans, so I hear about the chaos that way. But it's, again, it's just whatever's reflected in as we go along. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the world is boiling and, and therefore people getting angry and, and all these things happen. But all right, leaving that aside. So if you're, um, if you're not doing anything technical, uh, just out of curiosity though, how did you get involved in technical stuff? I, I, what was your background? Where were you, uh, where did you come from? You know, what got you involved in Groovy and things and, and all of that? Um, well, I mean, the technical background, when I get started was really at, uh, well, I was gonna say at school, but when I was of school age, um, mm. but it was a hobbyist programmer way back when. Um, on on the Amiga, if any if oh, anyone wow. remembers that, <laughs> uh, I, I was I was also I had a ZX eighty one, which was a very UK oriented uh, person, uh, sort of home computer. Um, I don't know whether it made it outside of the UK particularly. I've heard of it, uh, but, so yeah, yeah, that was that was that was kind of fun. I missed the days of loading things from tape, and you could <laughs> you could hear whether it was loading correctly or not by the noise it was making. <laughs> and it's like, so you didn't have to get to the end. It's like, oh, that's not working. Stop, rewind, play again. <laughs> 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 you see, these are the kinds of things people get nostalgic about. It's like, don't miss it, but get a bit nostalgic about it. 
Well, the phone um, coupling sound too when you when you logged on to what co constituted online those days. Oh yeah, I actually didn't use um, modems much, um, no. barely at all. And then when I when I got online, I was lucky enough to be on a ADSL trial. Ah, so I went straight from university, which had, of course, its super fast internet connections, mm. to my home in London, which suddenly had ADSL before most other people. So that was that was kind of cool. So I didn't get, I had a little bit of experience with the old old style modems, but uh, not an awful lot. So what were you coding in in those days? Well, I started with C, which is kind of an odd one that, for, for people to really start with. And yeah, you know, people, <clears throat> I eventually worked out what pointers were, for example, but it took a while. Mm. And um, yeah, there was um, back then the Amiga had started to introduce because it was well known for its graphics side of things and uh, its graphics libraries. And actually, the graphics libraries I remember being quite uh, good. But they introduced this thing called Bootsy, which is like basic object oriented programming, something, 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 something. Um, and that I didn't really understand. Mm. Um, and now having done a lot of object oriented programming, I uh, could, could have missed it. <laughs> but no, so yeah, it started with um, C and I think that's, you, you're not so close to the hardware that you get lost in the trees, but you're close enough that you can sort of have a better understanding how, how computers work. Sure. Um, and then, I mean, university had nothing to do with computers that was chemical engineering but i you know i was uh doing some of the more computational stuff numerical computation modeling of uh complex processes uh that's when i got my first experience with unix that's back when i thought who the hell designed this been operating system <laughs> terrible <laughs> how do i list a directory i don't know um so at some point, I quickly changed opinion on that and became, <laughs> became more of a Unix than a Windows person. But yeah, mm -hmm. back then, uh, how our, how our uh, tastes change. Right. So, um, and then I, I went into C++ for my first uh, job. So I actually went from chemical engineering into programming. And there is a connection based on the type of uh, company it was. Uh, and then that... It was during that job that I got introduced to Java, and then it, it gradually progressed. Um, Groovy and Grails was quite a bit later. That was back in 2006. That was actually after my travels. So uh, I was very energetic and very focused and very productive at that time, um, but also wanted to uh, try to create a web app fairly quickly. And all the Java stuff sucked badly at that stage. I mean, yeah. Hey, if you want to invest several days or weeks of your life just to get basic page up and running, yeah, fine. But um, I, I found Grails for what I think based on Rails. Ruby on Rails was in Dr. Dobbs at the time and stuff right. else. And I thought, oh, I wonder if there's something for Java. So yeah, came across Grails and pretty much fell in love with it and say, like, this is so easy. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the scaffolding, for example, just because I could get to see how it worked and then I could just change it and then I 
you know i found that a very quick way of learning how to use it um and then uh and then i went to work for g21 and that sort of started the uh groovy and grails and working in the open source world you uh, were journey you're an employee of g21 yes Oh wow! I I knew there were about a dozen. I didn't know you were one of those. A dozen? Were there? Oh, is that two? There are four or five. Oh, is that all it was? Four or five? Uh, and Graham, I knew five or maybe maybe six. Um, I mean, there were the three founders. Yeah, uh, Guillaume, um, Graham, and uh, uh, I can't remember his name now. It's been so long. <laughs> um. And he he was the chief exec. So <laughs> Alex, Alex Catchman. Oh right, right, of course, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there were three, and then uh, I, I I joined, and I think Jeff joined. I... Not sure if Bert joined then or once um, Spring Source had uh, uh, bought out G two one. Well, Jeff Brown, I know, was was one of the founders, as I recall, and along with Graham Roche and, and, and Guillaume Laforge. And I thought there was another couple of people, but I don't remember the details anymore. And you were actually there. Um, yeah, then, of course, as our long-term listeners know, G2 One was bought by SpringSource, which was bought by VMware, which was bought by uh, EMC, and then by Dell and all that. And, and of course, then... VMware spun off Pivotal, and uh, according to Jeff Brown, his job didn't change that much. His email address changed four times, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So crazy. Well, I was, I was only there and uh, up to and including uh, VMware, mm. pretty much just before Pivotal was spun off. Um, I, I, I had no idea that was happening anyway. So. Um, That's when you went on your own after that, or did you go? Somewhere? Yeah, 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 and that was. That was just another instance of I, I I don't have haven't stayed in jobs for terribly long and and a big reason is I um, I just get frustrated at feeling so unproductive and then I I've, I've eventually worked out that it, it was um, this uh, this condition I have um, but back then it's just feeling like I have to step away to to you know re-energize or, or whatever it never worked um terribly well but um yeah i was always uh, amazed that people were happy with my work output because i was not i was incredibly frustrated um with how little little i felt that i was able to do um but also that was that was a challenging time because i was i was the grails grooving grails evangelist at the time mm. um by myself and there were just so many competing demands and i just felt like i i could never satisfy any of them so that was frustrating as well um, i think one of the first things i saw from you where, where i first encountered you at least in print was your series of blog posts about gorm that you did back for um that must have been vmware but it might have been spring source even before that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. tips and tricks but I, I forget what it was actually called but it was um you were showing uh traps that you could fall into in gorm there were like it was like a four-part series of uh blog yeah. posts on that 
Yeah, I think they were fairly popular as well. Yeah, and didn't they eventually get wrapped into, well, one of the Gorm chapters on Grails in Action, I imagine? Well, this, this, the stuff that um, we learned definitely went into the book, for sure. Um, and I'm sure some of it got wrapped into the user guide at some point as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, interesting little path. I mean, uh, chemical engineering, I wouldn't have guessed that one. Uh, yeah, I was uh, similar. I was in mechanical engineering and, and math. And uh, so my programming language of choice back in those days, not, not because I wanted to, but because I had no choice, was Fortran at the time. <laughs> yeah, all the numerical libraries were written in Fortran. I mean, there was yeah. really no op no other option. And when you had to do, I was working on uh, aerodynamic stuff and all the simulations were in Fortran. Nowadays, of course, all those numerical things have been ported over to Python, uh, you know, so that the, the machine learning people and the statistics people are all working in Python these days. I, I never would have guessed Python would take off like that, or I would have studied that back then. Yeah, well, back when I was, uh, so my, my first job was, was fascinating because it was, I, I, I just did the C++ site, but yeah, the, the, the core of the software was actually a combination of Fortran and Modular 2. Oh, wow. Oh, my. <laughs> it's like, as far as I knew, no one was using Modular 2, but yeah, we, we had this stuff. So had the uh, three, three different languages for different things. And it's just like, you really don't want to, want to maintain that stuff. Um, I was really happy to learn that uh, they've that that company because I'm, I'm friends with I'm still good friends with uh, a few of the people that still work there. Ah. And um, yeah, there are some people still working there, like 10, 15 years later. So um, the uh, what was I saying? Um, Modular two and, and working on the Oh, no, I was really glad that they had switched to Gradle for their, uh, their, their build, but they're only using it for their Java site. They're not using it for native yet. So it's like, I did. No, my... They'll see the light. They'll see the light eventually. Um, when, although to be fair, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that people jump into jump into Gradle for native um, just yet, because uh, uh, I gather that they are working on some new plugins and they they need to move away from the old software model that they've uh, that they've tried mm. um so but you know if you if you need to do dual native plus java um i think gradle is going to be a, a that's going to be a, a sweet spot for gradle for sure because yeah having two different build systems for them is uh, not not great um but yeah speaking of python mm. one of my later jobs Okay. Actually, both companies were spun out from university, so that probably explains a little bit about the technology choices and, and the Unix focus and, uh, uh, yeah, the languages used. But so I worked for an image, uh, a company that used image processing technology to try to infer information out of uh, images. And that's when I had a first play with Python because you had the the core computational stuff in C++. Um, I think with Fortran libraries, but you can you can uh, link them together. And they'd created Python bindings. So I thought, hey, yeah, let's try that. And that's when I learned how slow dynamic languages can be. <laughs> because right. images are basically these big arrays, 
huge millions of uh, elements representing right. the image. And so I was using Python to iterate over them to do stuff. And I was like, why is this taking so long? And that was my first introduction to know your tool, know what it's, <laughs> what it's good for and where it's really, really bad. Yeah, I tried to my my exposure to the the good old JNI Java Native Interface back working with Java and C together in the late '90s. I actually had a project where, and I, I still can't believe I, I went through this. I actually put a Java Swing user interface on top of a Fortran program because <laughs> uh, I was in a group That's that uh, that did AI like stuff, stuff that you would call AI now, but they were analyzing statistical data from uh elevators so this was a part of i was part of a division of united technologies and they owned otis elevators so that this group was analyzing elevator data trying to predict failures you know our mean time to failures and being able to anticipate when to send maintenance people out there well of course all the statistical routines were in fortran and they were eventually going to transition to matlab of course at the time uh, I knew Java. I said I'd put a UI on it, and of course, I put the UI on it in Swing, and then I had to go from Swing to from Java to C and C to Fortran, and it's basically like taking a beam and putting a notch in it, and saying I want you to break right here. You know, it's it's the one time in my career when I actually used the phrase, "Well, it worked on my machine," and <laughs> that's all. I, <laughs> I never got it to work anywhere else. Oh God, yeah. Sorry, you you just reminded me of a, a, another project I, I worked on and yeah. uh, that was a web app but it was a web app with a uh, it was using java web start oh uh, wow yeah which was that watch. alternative to applets um so you had this swing at, uh, interface ui and there was just one customer where it just wouldn't work the the, the, the app would not run and just couldn't i never ever managed to solve that to much to my chagrin and embarrassment and, and various other things. And I just like, why? Don't understand. Um, yeah, that was really complicated. Um, but yeah, my, my first job, we actually produced a, a swing bait. That's why I got into Java. We were producing a swing based user interface for the, uh, the, the native stuff. Although um, I think we just ran it as an executable, none of this JNI stuff. Although we did get into Kulba. If you remember that. Oh my God. Well, everybody, <laughs> I always say everybody has one project in their career that was so horrible. It just about drove them out of the field entirely. Uh, mine was a Corba project in C++. Uh, we had four project managers who would turn every 20 minute, let's just catch up meeting into a four hour shouting match. Uh, and it was all about Corba. It was like, oh my goodness. I, I was so glad when Java 11 actually dropped the Corba module. <laughs> <laughs> for real, you know, I was like, oh, thank goodness. I mean, that eventually became the, as I recall, the uh, EJB 1.0 bindings in, in Java came from the Corba module, believe it or not. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. There was a brief period of time when I was entertaining the possibility of, of putting like putting in Fortran bindings for Corba. Boy, I can't imagine what a disaster my career would have been if I'd gone that <laughs> yeah. So you actually worked with Corba there for a while, huh? Yes, yes, and it was it was a struggle. Although to be fair, it was definitely easier from Java than it was from C plus plus. But um, by the way, that that led me to my favorite typo on a slide once I saw is somebody was writing out the acronym Corba 
and they wrote common object request broken architecture. <laughs> and I just fell out of my chair. <laughs> oh, how so accurate. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be for those who are not aware, which is God bless you. You know, was a, co a common object request broker architecture, and they wrote broken, and I, I loved it. I just thought it was great. <laughs> I'm impressed that you remember what the acronym stands for. Because oh sure well, it's mostly I... because of that gag, you know. Which, by the way, is how I always keep writing. You know, whenever I I have something to write, and I look at this, and I go, man, it's going to be so much work. And if I ever have a joke to tell. You know, if I have a story with a gag in it, well, then I'll write and write and write just to tell the gag. And then the editor later could say, mm, let's take out the gag. And I'll be like, okay. But I mean, then at least I have all those pages left. You know? mm. ah, interesting way of doing it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a weird motivation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever works. I mean, it's. <laughs> well, the, you mentioned, uh, of course, stuff with. Uh, with to bring the reason we're doing this this podcast too is I was somewhat I suppose shamed into it or got my competitive in instincts running because Sergio Delamo okay our good friend Sergio who's behind the uh, Groovy Calamari uh, did a couple of Groovy Calamari podcasts Are you aware that he's got a podcast now yes yes, yes. I, I knew that because I saw a tweet from you and I, that was one of the few that I decided to follow Oh wow, well, I'm I'm honored. But at any rate, so I retweeted his, of course, and he said that they had done two podcasts. Uh, they'd done twice as many podcasts as we had this month, which meant two versus one. And of course, that meant I was trying to contact Baruch and saying, "Well, we got to do three of them today." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, Baruch wasn't going to go for that. He's you know not quite so immature. Uh, so instead. I thought, oh, I know, I'll contact Peter and we'll just have a conversation. And now at least I can say to Sergio, hey, you know, we, we did the same thing you did this month. Yeah, we broke even. And and I got a guest and everything, you know, a really good one. So there you, go. <laughs> uh, you noticed uh, his latest Groovy Calamari. He has this wild speculation about what's going to happen with Gradle. Um, now, are you, um, how closely are you connected with them these days? Uh, just, uh, uh, well, how would you describe it? So uh, I work closely with them. I'm a, uh, effectively a freelancer for them. So, mm. um, but yeah, I, I have, I, I'm in contact with them on a regular basis and I have uh, sort of a view of what's, what's happening in, internally. I suppose I have, in, in the interest of full disclosure, I I was a freelancer for them for a while. I worked on the, the getting started guides for a bit, uh, but that's kind of scaled down. Now what I do is I teach the intro class online. Okay, so that's my only remaining connection really with them formally. Uh, so I don't really know what's going on internally, but I don't know that Sergio does either, and he's making the speculations about what's going to happen with with Gradle, will they get acquired? Are they going to? I mean, I have no idea about any of that. Do you? No, no. I mean, it is as far as I'm aware, it's just that speculation. So, yeah. um, my I, sense I was, don't know what's going yeah. on there. I think just uh, uh, proper politicians answer. Just for going to focus on producing the best possible content for Gradle, and leave it at leave it at that. Um, well, but I, I do hope. Speaking of that, I, I don't. I don't want to just pass that off as sure. politics speak. Um, really hoping that people do like the the changes to the the user manual. Like we're going to get in a new Maven, an updated Maven migration guide 
into mm. 5.1 docs. So I hope that helps people. Um, you know, there was the, uh, actually way back when I added stuff on incremental build that wasn't very covered. So, right. Well covered. So yeah, I, I'm hoping that gradually, um, a lot of these changes are going to percolate through and, and people are going to actually see Gradle in a new light and get a better understanding of it. Cause you know, if you, if you browse stack overflow and, and Google, um, Gradle things, you just get this impression that a lot of people don't get it. Mm. They don't understand what it is. You know, they still have references to writing. Oh yeah, you can script your builds. No, no, that's not what you're doing. You know, you you know they use a language. You lose language scripts as convenience to provide uh, a useful modeling tool. But yeah, um, hoping hoping all these changes will definitely help. Um, well, I'm glad, glad actually that Gradle Link are willing to invest on, on that side of things as well. Well, Jen Strader, who I'm sure you know. Oh, and by the way, yeah. I, think, I think we should say happy birthday to Jen today, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, yes, yes, it is. Happy birthday to Jen. Yes, I saw that on Twitter also. Uh, Jen said that there was always kind of a effectively a drinking game as to how late it would be in a groovy podcast when we mentioned Kotlin. You know, uh, but <laughs> since you're talking about the changes in Gradle, you know, with 5.0 and 5.1, of course, the Gradle people seem to put a whole lot of hope in the fact that the new Kotlin DSL will attract a lot of new users to Gradle, mostly because they'll be getting better IDE support. What's your sense on that? Do you have any feel for it? Um, so, I mean, it depends what, what, what aspect of it uh, you're talking about. Um, so I, I can understand the reasoning uh, behind switching to Kotlin DSL, mm. and it definitely does provide a much better ID support. And there are, I think, a lot of people who just get frustrated with groovy build scripts because they just don't. The, the ID gives them no support. They can't see what uh, what structures they can use, what the syntax is for something. Um, and there was actually an interesting comment from uh, somebody who who was offering to write a a guide on uh, Android migrating to Kotlin DSL from Groovy DSL. Mm. And he said, as soon as I started to use Kotlin DSL, I suddenly realized that actually Gradle build scripts are just effectively uh, programming an API and a well-designed API at that. And it's like, yes, that is that is at least <laughs> one of the the main things that people should hopefully see so you know i'm definitely all for it if people start viewing it as uh, an api a rich api for uh, modeling builds um the what i was going to say i mean i think many people who are using groovy dsl won't switch or won't switch immediately um I'm I'm comfortable I'm personally comfortable with uh, Groovy DSL and some of the Kotlin restrictions. I find a little irritating, um, just because I'm not used to them, and partly because I'm not used to them, and partly because static languages can be irritating. They they provide this extra support, but it's also a bit of a straitjacket. That's intentional. Mm. So, right. Um, but to be fair, uh, the Kotlin guys have done a, a remarkable job of removing a lot of ceremony associated with um, type safety, languages with type safety in them. And um, 
that so you still get that type safety but you know if you compare using you know calling an ant task from a groovy dsl build or kotlin dsl build uh there's no contest really it's, it's much nicer with groovy but that's that's a that's also an unfair example because hey that's using groovy's ant builder you would expect it to be um easier so uh i think it's i don't know whether it's necessarily that it will attract lots more users it will certainly make a large part of the user base happier well my expectation i mean I, i've only played with it a little bit i i put in at least one build you know just to try to get a feel for the new dsl um and i didn't go all that far in it i still want more examples you know more up-to-date examples and everything but we'll see how it goes uh, my guess, of course, is that the people who will adopt it will be the Android people because Android really is switching over pretty whole scale to Kotlin these days. And the people are, if they're already writing in Kotlin, they're going to want their build to be in Kotlin too. I mean, that, that certainly makes sense. I, I don't know whether that's going to expand into the rest of the development community. You know, we'll, I guess we'll know next year. I mean, I think one of the things that came out of some of the recent surveys, the Stack Overflow survey and, and the, the state of Kotlin survey and everything, is that Gradle seems to have settled in as about 25%, maybe roughly, of the build population, you know, with Maven being the vast majority of the rest. And they're having trouble breaking out of that that percentage. I don't see them jumping up to 30 or 35 or anything like that. And I suspect that they're hoping that the adoption of the Kotlin DSL will trigger another wave of, hey, let's re-examine Gradle. I, I hope it works. Yeah, I mean, it should um, satisfy some of those users who, who like the auto-completion you get from the XML, and you've got the validation as well. But uh possibly the main the main thing there is that some people like the restrictive nature of maven yeah and not and not everybody has the kinds of complex builds that really uh that, that let gradle shine so you know maven does a just good enough job so why why migrate um so i i'm not sure the kotlin dsl will necessarily um, make those kinds of people want to consider migrating. Um, I suspect other things might. Um, better visibility on what the, the, the build cache can do, for example, to help uh, improve your build speeds. And I, I think eventually the, that is probably what will persuade more and more Maven users. Your builds will be significantly faster. Yeah, I get the sense the build cache is really bad enough. I don't get the feeling that enough people use that or know about it uh, to take advantage of it. But you're absolutely right. The people who seem to prefer Maven uh, like the restrictions. They, they sometimes feel Gradle gives them too many choices, uh, too many different ways to do things. I don't feel like that, but maybe I just don't work on the sorts of builds they have. I don't know. I think it very much depends on what your experience with Gradle has been. And there have, you know, there's no doubt there have been some horrible, horrible Gradle builds where people have just written all the build logic in build scripts. I see. Um, rather than taking a structured approach and use, you know, using Groovy and Java libraries rather than using the Gradle API. And, and you know, I'm not going to uh, criticize the people that have done, who've created those builds. I mean, maybe some of them deserve criticism, but many don't because that's, 
Um, I, I don't think there's been enough information on how to uh, develop good gradle builds. You know, that's something, and that's a that's an ongoing process. There's still mm. plenty of weak areas. Um, you know, I, I I would like to improve the stuff on tasks, the basic stuff about tasks. Uh, that could be made a lot more approachable and. Um, uh make it easier for people to understand them and learn how to use them and, and so on and so forth so i yeah. think that that would all be very appreciated i i mean another book that's getting starting to show its age is uh you know gradle in action uh, ben mushko wrote that before he joined gradle and and now yeah. he's not there anymore and i'm hoping maybe he'll re-examine that although you know i'm in the old school i like having books around i don't know how many people you know, younger than age 35 or something really care about that sort of thing anymore. I don't know. Uh, but it'd be nice to have an update on on that stuff, too. Um, so I assume if you're not doing a lot technical these days, you haven't really looked at Micronaut at all. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I haven't looked at it. I mean, I, I, uh, I heard about Micronaut and had a quick look, but I haven't looked into the detail of it. So. I felt I ought to at least mention it because I think they had another minor point release, I think. I think they're up to like 1.0.3 or 4, or something like that. Um, and of course, now that they are official, now that they're 1.0, they have, the OCI people have turned a lot of their attention back to Grails. You know, I, Graham and, and some of the others, uh, Sergio among them, I believe, are now focusing on the big changes that are coming going to come in Grails 4, which is going to basically replace a lot of the spring type dependency injection functionality, if I understand it correctly, with the comparable parts that they've written for Micronaut so that everything's done statically and quickly and, and very powerfully as well. Uh, so hopefully we'll see a, a, an alpha, beta, something like that of Grails 4 early in the new year. And maybe that will revitalize that ecosystem as well. I don't know. Okay. Well, best of luck to you then. Yeah. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know what... Um... So I always I always felt there was a, there was a role for um, frameworks like Grails, although to be honest, Spring Boot has mm. uh, proven it, it's much more competitive in that space. Yeah, I think Netflix just announced that they had adopted Spring Boot wholesale for their projects, and of course, uh, Pivotal's running with that, and and you know saying there's a lot of. Uh, publicity. But I mean, the idea, I mean, I think we're starting to see enough of a backlash against the idea of microservices that people are saying, you know, maybe the word monolith is not a pejorative. Maybe that's not a bad thing. And and to have a framework like Grails that can build something like that may be very useful. So we'll see how that plays out again in the coming year. I, okay. I guess I, I, I'm not familiar with this backlash. So it, it, it's Good to know that there has been. It's it's there is always yeah, a backlash against these, yeah. these things because people don't seem to realize that there are trade offs with everything. That whole hype cycle that comes from Gartner, you know, that the the inflated expectations and then the trough yeah. of the solution. I think we're starting at least among the people I follow who do a lot of architecture work. They're starting to get frustrated with companies adopting microservices and realizing that, hey, if you can't build a decent monolith, you probably can't build a good set of distributed microservices either. You know, and just because you're requiring all this event-driven stuff to happen doesn't mean you couldn't do event-driven monoliths too. You know, it's like there's a lot of 
confusion and bad code. And when that starts to happen, people start to question, do I have to go to microservices? And, and again, I'm seeing that mostly in my Twitter feed. It's not among the people I encounter necessarily. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I would say that Netflix are adopting uh, Spring Boot more for the microservices side of things rather than for sort of simple web apps. But maybe oh. they're yeah, I, I imagine well. so. And we can confidently assume that people at Netflix pretty much know what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that is that as well. They've been doing microservices for quite a while now. Yeah. Um, most people yeah, don't yeah. have their scaling issues either. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think people miss the uh, side of Grails could always help you get a, a, a like web applicate websites up and running. Um, and, and give you a lot of plumbing under the hood that you could hook into. Um, well, and just to just to close the loop on that, uh, as I recall, it was Glenn Smith's original series of blog posts on Grails in 30 days. You know, basically, he was doing building up his entire expertise on Grails by spending a, a, an hour a day at lunchtime every day for 30 days. That introduced him to the Grails community. That eventually wound up making him your co-author on the the Grails in Action book, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to just trying to remember who, uh, who who was the first one on that project. Whether he asked me or I asked him, or whether Manning just asked us both. I honestly can't remember, but yeah. Yeah, that I don't know. I only remember the blog post, and then suddenly I heard the two of you were working together. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know how that <laughs> happened. Interesting. I guess that's another question for him then, see if he remembers it differently than you do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He, he may actually remember it accurately. That, that would be good. Um, no. Of course, the other big thing we're waiting for in the new year will be uh, Groovy 3, which is making steady progress. It's just a question of when they start releasing betas and getting ready to actually release the project under the Apache uh, Aegis. So I haven't been following that uh, spectacularly. Can you summarize what, what's uh, coming in, the, the significant changes with Groovy 3? Well, the, the one that will, the big syntax change is that they support the Java 8 Lambda syntax. Lambdas, method references, all that stuff uh, will be native in Groovy now. So the okay. old idea of taking a Java file and renaming it .groovy will work again. You know, because that that broke once we went to Java 8 with the Lambda syntax. But they have added many new operators or many new operations. There's a, an in and a not in operation. There's a Elvis assignment, you know, a question mark equals instead of just a question mark dot uh, operator there. Uh, there are, I mean, do you think I'd remember better? I wrote a whole article about it for Java Magazine, <laughs> but mostly from the release notes. You know, Paul King's yeah. been talking about it a lot. And there are links in previous Groovy podcasts to his presentation. So without going into huge detail, partly because I don't remember them all off the top of my head, but also we we have lots of links on it. Uh, Groovy 3 looks to be a really nice improvement to the API. I mean, that's the formal adoption of the Parrot parser and all the performance improvements that will, imp that will gain as well. Um, that's all coming. And I hope that's uh, sooner rather than later. Again, the thing that holds it back is... Um, there aren't that many people who are paid to work on it. And that's another debate going on in the industry right now is how does an open source project attract enough developers who to do the things that you don't want to do? You know, that everybody works on the fun stuff, but how do you get them to do the things that not everybody wants to do without being paid about it? You know? Mm. Yeah. So this is like Confluence going through that now with a license change on uh, Kubernetes or what's it or Kafka or I think it was Kubernetes, right? 
any rate. You're asking the wrong person. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. This is, just, this is partly what I, the benefit I get out of Twitter is to see the issues being debated that affect me indirectly, but I don't have to actually deal with myself at the moment. So we'll see. Thanks, how that goes. Is yes. there um, anything else that you're interested in talking about or anything that you'd like to say to everybody that, you know, is a, as a chance to, you know, your first time talking to the community again for a while? Oh, crikey. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> now I'm intimidated. <laughs> um, no, no. Well, I, I, I hope I can uh, rejoin the land of the living um, in the not too distant future. But I've been saying that for quite a while. So, you know, I'm just taking every day as it comes. Uh, that's a much overused turn of phrase as well. But um, yeah, that's pretty much how it's going at the moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope everyone is uh, doing well and, uh, you know, enjoying what they're doing. Always very important. And yeah, looking forward to seeing what uh, Groovy 3 brings and, you know, Gradle 6 when it comes out and see what the Micronaut. Be very interested to see what happens with Grails 4 as well. Um, hopefully, I'll be paying attention. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. And, you know, if I manage to get over uh, my funk, then I might even get back to Lazy Bones and, and sort of get that well, to a 1.0. Please keep in mind that as far as the community is concerned, you are always welcome. And you could do as little or as much as you feel up to doing, and nobody's ever going to criticize you for it or worry about it. Mostly, we just love having you around. Uh, you've done plenty, you know, and if you are able to do more in the future, great. If not, well, we completely understand. And it's just nice getting a chance to talk to you again. I mean, I, I, of course, it's a big deal for me because it was at a, was it, I think it was a Spring 1 2GX conference, the last one of those, where you pulled aside uh, Baruch and me and, and said, okay, I want you two to do the Ruby podcast from now on. And so, in, in some way, we are part of your legacy as well, if you're willing to accept that. <laughs> I don't know if I want that now, but it's all good. <laughs> it's totally fair, totally fair. <laughs> but it's been wonderful uh, getting a chance to talk to you again. Yeah, and, it's great. Again, please you again. feel free to keep in touch and uh, anything you're, whatever you decide to do, if you decide to go bird watching, whatever, I mean, whatever you decide to do, you know, uh, we're, we're right behind you and we're, we're less glad to hear from you. Uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure, and thank you very much, and yeah, wish you all the best. Oh, and uh, uh, a happy holiday or a Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you very much, and the same to you. I hope you have a good time with your family, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, take care then. Okay, take care. Ciao.